0: So as of checking this week, Amazon.com has 80,000 books on parenting. If you narrow that search down just to Christian parenting, the number is still 30,000 books. That's a lot of books. Follow with me on a little bit of a math journey. The average nonfiction book has about 50,000 words. And if you take just the Christian parenting books, that means that there are about 1.5 billion words in print right now for the Christian parent to read about how to be a parent. Now, if you read all those words at the average pace of what a typical person reads, which is 250 words per minute, and you read for six hours a day, every day, it would take you 47 years to read all of those words. So that means if you started reading at the age of five, you would finish reading by the time you are about 51 years old. Why do you think there's so many books about parenting? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but one in particular stands out, and that is parenting matters. And people care about doing parenting well, and so often people feel unprepared and overwhelmed. Today, we're gonna to bring to close our short little three-part series about the key relationships that are in our homes husbands, wives, and today, parents and children. Our hope is that we will make the most use of this time that we have together under this shelter-in-place order that we're living in in Ohio, to really build on, invest in, and if needed, heal some of these most important relationships in our lives. Let me quickly remind you of our rules. Rule number one, you've got to stay engaged. If we're talking about something that doesn't directly apply to you, you still got to stay engaged because, number one, you may end up being this person. If you're a man who's not married yet, you may become a husband or a father someday. If you're a woman who's not married yet, you may become a wife or a mother. If you are married but don't have children yet, you may have children someday. And so you got to stay engaged because this role may become a role that you fill someday. Maybe this role isn't a role that you're going to fill, but you might be a partner with this person. Today, we're going to talk to parents and to children together. And in this, we want both parents and children to understand each other's role so that they could work together in this journey. Now, if neither of those are true, that you may never actually engage in this process of being a parent, it's still important to stay engaged because the most important relationship in your life, the relationship you have with God, is defined by parent and child. So rule one, you gotta stay engaged. Rule number two, you gotta stay focused. Relationships are all about people coming together in connection. That means there's variables that are outside of your control, circumstances and other people. And as you are learning about these relationships, you've got to remember to stay focused on the variable that makes the most difference that you can control, and that's yourself. No relationship ever is improved because you become an expert on everybody else's failures. When you and I take serious our responsibility on what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live, that is our best shot at these relationships getting better. As we turn to our text, you may be surprised at the simplicity in which Paul writes about this especially because the relationship between parents and children doesn't always feel so simple. In this passage, Paul is giving a word both to the parents on how they're supposed to parent and to the children and how they're supposed to live. And let's use this text together to see if we can understand how these relationships are supposed to work hand in hand in this life. Let's start first with the children in verses 1 through 3. The first thing we notice is exactly who Paul is talking to. He's addressing the children when he says, children obey your parents. And I think it's really important for us to understand what is behind this word, because when we think about children, sometimes we think just about an age range. Is it 16 and under? Is it 18 and under, 21, 25? At what point is a person not a child? Well, in first century Jewish life, especially for them, the idea of being a child was not locked into just a certain age range it really was defined by a relationship. The word children here really just means ones who are dependent on their parents. That means that you're a child when you're really young and dependent upon shelter and food and clothing to survive. But that also means as you grow older into even your adulthood, you still can maintain a child and parent relationship as you depend upon your parents, maybe for different things like wise counsel and advice on how to live. You see, what he's gearing this towards is the relationship that a person has with their parent and whom they're dependent upon. Now, secondly, what are children told to do? Well, here he gives you two things. First of all, he says, children, obey your parents. Now, I know, kids, what you might be thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the dreaded, do what you're told, don't ask why talk. And I think it's really important for you to know what the word obey means. You know the word obey is actually a compound word, meaning it takes two words and puts them together to make one word. Now the two words that come together are this, the word under and the word listen. The word obey literally means just to sit at your parents' feet and be willing to hear what they're saying. The most active thing that you do in obedience is good listening. The idea of obeying your parents means that you hear what they're saying, that you listen to what they're saying, seek to understand what they're telling you, and then go out and do it. Now hear me out on this, kids. A sneaky effect of sin in our lives is the hostility we feel towards people who are in authority to us. This could be our parents, Most certainly is God. can be your teacher, your principal at school. It can be the police. Any of those people that are in authority, when we feel aversion or frustration with their authority over us, that's an effect of sin in our life. And I promise you, your parents are not paying me to say this, but your instinct to feel really annoyed with your parents when they're telling you stuff and to want to just brush it off as if they don't understand your life Is really an expression of a problem of sin and we've all gone through it. You see it's a part of your sinful nature that deceives you sometimes to think that you have life completely figured out and your parents are just in the way of you living. Obeying your parents is about listening to what they have to say. Now the second thing he tells you to do is honor your parents. That just means to place value on them. Now this doesn't mean that you like them all the time. This doesn't mean that you're happy with every decision they've ever made for you. This doesn't mean that you just tell them thanks when they do nice things for you. Honoring your parents means that you have decided in your mind and in your will that you are going to place a high value on them being in your life. Now, he tells us why to do these things. First of all, he says, obeying your parents and honoring your parents is the right thing to do. Meaning it is the way you were designed to live. You know you were supposed to come into this world as a child with parents who guide you on how to live. So you were supposed to listen to them and honor them. It's the right thing to do. But he also says it's the good thing for you to do. You notice he says it comes with a promise that your years may be long on the earth. He says you will be blessed if you have in this situation parents who are raising you, and your willingness to listen and honor them now there's one condition in this text to you children he says all of this honor and obedience is to be done in the lord that means the original design of parents and children were to have parents who are god-fearing jesus following people disciples of christ who are raising up children to know the lord And if this describes your situation, I encourage you children to listen to and obey what you're hearing in this text today. But if this doesn't describe your current situation, I want to encourage you that you may need to find other parental influence in your life who are also willing to pour into you godly principles on how to live. So children, you've been called to obey your parents and to honor your parents. Now let's turn our attention to our parents. Again, who's he talking to? You notice in verse four he shifts. He has said, children obey your parents and honor your parents. But then in verse four he says, fathers. He addresses specifically the fathers. This word in its context tells us that he's talking to parents but he uses this word on purpose. This does not mean that mothers are excluded from this process. This doesn't mean that mothers are not involved in the raising of children. No, not at all. What this means is that, fathers, he is calling on you to take the lead in this process. Now, this is following the command that he has just given to husbands on how they're supposed to care for and love their wives, and that's not by accident either. He has just told husbands to love their wife like Christ loved the church. A father who lays down his life for his wife, who sacrifices for his wife, who loves her unconditionally, who treasures her and cares for her, will find in that relationship not only a partner to parent the children with, but also the very first way that he displays good parenting. Now, as a side note to you ladies that are not yet married, I want to caution you to really consider the men that you're dating. Look at them. Think about this. They will become, if you have children someday, the father to your children, and they will have massive impact on the spiritual lives, not just of you, but also your children. Husbands, fathers have been called to set the spiritual climate in the home, and they will have impact on that. Their wallet and their good looks will not raise your kids. Their character will. So hold out for a godly man of character not just somebody that you may be attracted to. So what is he actually telling the parents to do? Well, there's a negative command, something not to do, and then there's a positive command, something that we need to do. And he starts with the negative. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children. Colossians, the mirror text to this, says don't exasperate your children, meaning don't irritate them, don't frustrate them. Don't be stirring them up constantly to anger. So how do we do this? How do we stir our children up to anger, provoke them to wrath? Let me give you a few examples. One, when they do something wrong and we choose to berate them and nag them and not teach them. Or when we as parents focus on their failures and ignore their progress in life. When we spoil them, and make all of life about their immediate pleasure and happiness. Or we do things like praising them for superficial things in their life, their looks or a victory or being better than somebody else and fail to really praise them for the character that's being developed in them. When we choose not to bother them with responsibilities and chores and just do everything for them. Or when they mess up, we step in and intercept any consequences they might experience so that they don't have to face them or we make all their decisions for them and train them to be helpless. You see, when we do these things in many other examples, what we're doing is either creating an environment that cannot be replicated in any other world. So, for example, when they leave our homes and go out into the real world, they're not going to find a teacher, a boss, a friend, a significant other who is going to create a world that you have created for them where everything is about what they want and what makes them happy and what's easy for them. And when we do that, when we give them an environment in our home that's different than an environment in the world, they will constantly be frustrated and angry people. The other way we do this is by creating an environment that should not be replicated. Our homes should be a place where our children can thrive emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and physically. And if we train them and raise them up in a toxic environment, they will not only be angry by that environment, but they'll be hurt by it. In either case, when we live this way and don't raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they will be frustrated, angry, irritated, and bitter about life. So fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. But he does tell us what to do with them. He says we should nurture them. That means to supply or feed them exactly what they need to reach the desired outcome. And there's two ways that we do this. We do this with discipline. Discipline is not just the means of our punishment. Discipline, the word, simply means to shape and to mold and to train somebody. Now there are times that you need to use consequences so they understand that actions have reactions. But really, the idea of disciplining is to mold them and shape them and train them to be something. The best word maybe in the English for us to think about this would be the idea of being an apprentice. Raising up our children is like apprenticing them to become adults someday. But then he also says we need to do this with instruction, which means to teach our children both with warnings and with hope. You say things like, here's what could go right, that would be great. And here's what could go wrong and that wouldn't be great. And as you teach your kids options and show them, hey, doing this can either give you this or this, they begin to learn how to live. But the key word that I want you to zero in on when it comes to nurturing our children is the word outcome. Ask yourself this, what do you hope for your child's life? When you dream about them moving out of childhood, what do you think about? What do you want them to become? What kind of person do you want them to be? You see, having the responsibility of leading your child to an outcome means that you got to get serious about not only asking yourself these questions, but also being on the same page with your significant other, saying, how do we want our child to turn out? What kind of person do we want them to be? You see, as parents, we have made two really big mistakes when it comes to dealing with the outcome of our children. The first mistake is this. In some ways, we have failed to care about it. Maybe we don't think about it. Maybe we don't dream about their outcome, what they're going to be. Don't plan for it. And don't make decisions based upon hoping to reach that outcome. We do this either by being so interested in our own lives that we ignore their life. We pawn them off on other things. We give them a device to uh, distract them so that we can just be about our own business. That is selfish parenting at its highest. Wanting to rid ourselves of our children, the responsibility we have to raise them so that we can just be about the things that we want to do, the things that bring us the most pleasure in that moment. When we live that way, we are failing to care about the outcome of our children. But you know there's another way that we fail to care? not just ignoring their life, but we also fail to care by being so interested in their childhood that we don't ever really bother with their maturity. Somewhere along the line, our love for our children has gotten misdirected. It's gone away from focusing on helping them mature into adulthood. We have developed an obsession in our culture with giving our children an unforgettable, Pinterest-perfect, completely planned, all-expenses-paid vacation in childhood. Childhood was not designed to be an experience that you never, ever want to leave. It was designed to be a season that parents and children navigate together as you bring children into maturity of adulthood. As parents, we cannot miss the responsibility we have to care about the outcome by either obsessing over our life or just obsessing over their childhood and not thinking about the outcome of growing them into adulthood. The other mistake we make when it comes to the outcome of our children is not just failing to care, but it's trying to fight for control. As much as we like to think that we can, we are not able To control the outcome of our children you see by nature parenting is the work of raising other human beings and so we just cannot actually dictate and determine and control every outcome and thinking we can control the outcome of our children exactly like it's some science we can predict really makes us view parenting the wrong way first of all it makes us view our children as products that we produce that if we add just a dash of this and a spice of that, we can guarantee that if we bake it at a temperature for a certain amount of time, our child will be exactly this. And the reality is, we can't control that. So we not only end up viewing our children as products, but we also end up viewing ourselves as sovereign when we think we can control the outcome. And the problem with that is if things end up by chance going well, Our pride is inflated and our ego is huge. And if things end up going bad, we have despair and a guilt that we just can't get rid of. You see, we were never designed to just control the outcome of our children, but we were called as parents to invest, to nurture, to feed, to supply, in hopes of reaching a desired outcome. The desired outcome is actually pretty clear. Ephesians tells us that we're supposed to Nurture our children in the admonition of the Lord. Colossians tells us that we're supposed to raise our kids in a way that they not lose heart and become discouraged. Deuteronomy chapter 6, another famous parenting passage, tells us to raise children to grow up and not forget the Lord. The goal of parenting is not just to produce a product that makes us look better. The goal of parenting is to evangelize the souls that have been entrusted to you by God and hand them back to Him. Now let me end with one final word, both to parents and to the kids. There's a secret about parenting that is important for us to always remember. I think most of you probably know it, but it's important to remind ourselves, and that secret is this, that parents will not do this job perfectly. I feel really compelled to share this thought with you because of the heightened awareness around parents and imperfection today. We are raised in a culture and a generation right now that is obsessed over the failing of our parents and the long-term impact of that. And I feel so grateful that there's been so much healing that's happened because of this awareness, but also we need to ensure that we don't have the negative impact from this as well. Let me start with a word to our kids. Kids listen, your parents are not going to be perfect. They're gonna make some mistakes. In fact, they're gonna make probably some big mistakes. And their mistakes are gonna have impact on you. It's gonna shape some of your personality. Their mistakes will form some false beliefs that you're gonna have to unlearn. And they may even cause some wounds that hurt. But at some point in your life, maybe as early as 14, all the way up to 40 or 50 years old, at some point you're gonna to have to process the fact that your parents were not perfect. There's a major lie that we have believed, especially in our culture today. And that idea is that we're allowed to excuse ourselves in adulthood from growing into maturity because our parents were not perfect for us. And that's simply not true. Let me share something with you. God knew your parents would not be perfect. And he can work through imperfect parents in a perfect way if you'll walk with him by faith. Let me explain how. You see, first of all, every simple good thing that your parent has ever done is just a reflection of the perfection of God and his image. Anything good your mom and dad have ever done for you, that you've learned from them, that you've seen in them, is just a reflection of the goodness of your eternal Father, God in heaven. And everything in their life that they have done wrong as a parent is actually able to serve you as a doorway and a pathway to reach past them and their imperfections all the way to a perfect Father. You see, you were always designed actually to look past your earthly parents. They were never designed to be your eternal parent. That's only God himself. And if they didn't have some of these imperfections, maybe you would never look past them. And so when you realize in the context of eternity that it's God's all-consuming, perfect love that you were always designed to be in connection with, then you can remember and have some grace and understanding that they may have done the best they could, but you were always designed to learn from them good things about God and then reach past them when they fall short to find in God a perfect father use any imperfection in your parents as fuel to drive you to the arms of the parent who will never fail so that you can enjoy eternity with these parents that you had here on earth And now just a quick word to our parents parents because your children have an eternal father that they were always destined to meet that means that you have the permission from god to actually own the ways that you're not perfect some of you may just need to tell your children, I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made. And then, also because they have an eternal father that they are destined to meet, you are then free to receive from God forgiveness for the ways that you are not perfect. God is gonna use our shortcomings as parents as fuel to bring his children home. That means that you and I can receive from God the forgiveness of sins when we do fall short as parents. We have a problem running rampant with our parents today. It is this persistent parental guilt where we never feel off the hook for falling short of not being perfect parents. The reality is we're not going to be perfect. And if we commit these children to the hands of the Lord and do the best we can, we can own where we fall short, allow ourselves to receive forgiveness and do the very best we can, enjoying some wins, enduring the losses and allowing those children to be committed to the hand of the Lord and growing them up into maturity. We've got to be people who are willing to receive the forgiveness of God because every one of us, whether you're today, are a parent, a child, or maybe you're both, were designed, created, and brought into this world to reach heaven with your eternal Father. That is the relationship that you were designed to have for all eternity. It's His love that sustains you. It's His acceptance that fulfills you. It's His good job, I'm proud of you, that fills your life up. He was the parent that you were always designed to have. And if you are walking through this life, not experiencing the love of God as your eternal father, you have a brother in Jesus Christ who has gone to the ends of the earth, to the cross, to ensure that you have a pathway back to him to be completely forgiven, fully accepted, and reconciled to the relationship that your heart is actually longing for. If you are listening right now and don't have a parent relationship and child relationship with God, your Father, would you please call or text the phone number that's on the screen right now. We want to help you get to know Jesus so that through Jesus Christ, you can return to the Father that you were always designed to have. Again, if there's any way we can help you, please contact us.